Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing the relationship between consciousness, the brain, and the spiritual teachings of Kriya Yoga. My guest is A. Martin Woodkey, goes by Marty. Marty Woodkey will share with us how understanding these connections can guide us to living a spiritually awakened, fulfilled life. Marty Woodkey is a neurotherapist, clinician, and yogacharya, an esteemed teacher of yoga. He has been teaching principles of brain, mind, and consciousness, as well as the teachings of Kriya Yoga for more than 40 years. As a pioneer and leading expert in the field of neurofeedback, he has treated a wide variety of disorders and assisted many on their spiritual path through his unique Woodkey method, combining ancient yogic wisdom and state-of-the-art neuroscientific approaches. Marty and his wife, Dr. Stella Woodkey, are the founders and principal practitioners of the Infinite Potential Institute, located in Santa Barbara, California. Marty is also a longtime disciple of Roy Eugene Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, who is also Raging Davis is also the guru of Yogacharya O'Brien. Marty has been ordained by Mr. Davis to teach and initiate others into the principles and practices of Kriya Yoga. You can find out more about Marty and his teaching and programs at the website Woodkey, IPI. Woodkey is W-U-T-T-K-E, Woodkey, and IPI stands for Infinite Potential Institute. So woodkeyipi.com. On Facebook, you can find them at Woodkey Infinite Potential Institute and on Instagram, infinite underscore potential underscore institute. <laughs> Those links will be on our webpage. If you want to find them again, um, that's at theyogahour.com. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Marty Woodkey. I'm really delighted you could join me today on the podcast. Thank you, Laurel. It's great to be here with you again. Before we dive into our dialogue about spiritual transformation, consciousness, and the brain, let's begin with a yoga moment, <clears throat> a moment of contemplation. Om. Let's begin by just bringing ourselves fully present wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Let's just feel our body in space and pay particular attention to the surfaces that support your weight. Where are your feet? If you're sitting in a chair, notice the amount of your weight that is being supported in the chair. Then let's turn our attention to the breath, just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. Noticing the coolness of the air on the inhale and how that air has been warmed on the exhale. You can feel it as it passes out through the nose. And just staying with our breathing, here's something to contemplate. A quote from Raging Davis, Marty and Yogacharya O'Brien's guru. Mr. Davis was also a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. He wrote, as a pure conscious unit of a larger reality, you are an immortal spiritual being with innate potential to bring forth and use exceptional powers of perception and extraordinary functional abilities. With patient resolve to learn, you can know the truth about the facts of life and be empowered to live freely. Your exemplary life will then inspire others 
and the silent radiance of your illumined consciousness will elevate the consciousness of everyone. With patient resolve to learn, you can know the truth about the facts of life and be empowered to live freely. Your exemplary life will then inspire others and the silent radiance of your illumined consciousness will elevate the consciousness of everyone. Once again, Marty Woodkey, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. When you were here with us in April of 2020, you had just recently published your book, The Brain Sutras. Mm-hmm. We realized as we looked back that we just barely scratched the surface of the teachings in your book, and we thought it would be supportive to our listeners to delve more deeply into the teachings of yoga through your book, The Brain Sutras. Mm-hmm. We'll publish that link to that prior program on our website. As a medical doctor, I have a great interest in seeing how modern science is catching up with what the ancient yogis told us several thousand years ago. And you have been studying neuroscience, the science of the brain, as well as practicing neurofeedback for several decades. So what are your thoughts about that? How modern science actually seems to be confirming a lot of what the ancient yogis told us several thousand years ago? Yeah, I think... um... You know, some of the the recent uh, realizations in particularly uh, neurology, neuroscience, is is that you know the the brain is is plastic. We call that neuroplasticity. So it was once thought, which is now a myth, that you know your brain, once it reaches a certain uh, stage of development, that's it. It's locked in. But now we know that's that's not true that the brain is always you know it's neuroplastic it's malleable it is, it is always uh it always has the ability to to remold to reprogram to rewire and then the the other uh, principle is this neurogenesis you know we thought well once brain tissue is gone or dead uh it, that's it but that is just not true we know now with stem cells that the brain can actually regrow tissue and grows new connections called synapses all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think and these- I would just I just break in just for a moment because sure. what's amazing to me in my career as a physician when I went to medical school in the mid 80s. So that's how that's how re- recently we're talking. Yeah. Some people may feel like the mid 80s is not that recent, but to me that's when I was in medical school. That's absolutely what I was taught. That yeah. the brain, once it was gone, it was gone. You know, once it got to a certain point, you didn't really it didn't remodel. You know, so it's really fascinating to me that it has changed so much in so that relatively short period of time. It's really totally reversed. It's totally totally the opposite of what we thought. Yes, and um, you know, Paramhansa Yogananda said back in the 1920s, uh, the uh, documentary movie about his life called Awake. There's a quote from him in the very beginning where he says. You know, the, the 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 brain and the spine is the altar of God. And then, you know, at certain points in his writings and Roy Eugene Davis as well, talk about that, that the brain transforms through spiritual practices, meditation in particular. So, um, you know, this has been known for a long time. And as, as you say, science is just catching up now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so that's so interesting because obviously in the, you know, in the yoga teachings, like in uh, yoga sutras, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's 112 where, you know, it says one of the most important things is steady practice. Mm-hmm. So when you think about what we're doing is we're actually changing the literal, you know, like the the actual structure of the brain. Well, no wonder it has to be steady <laughs> practice, right? It's just like every so often, if you meditate, it's not really going to be effective in changing the structure of the brain. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Time is a factor. And uh, I think you mentioned it somewhere in your quiz, you know, the, the brain pathways can be like ruts mm-hmm. and, you know, like anything we can get stuck in ruts. So getting out of those ruts is important. And that's what meditation helps us do. Yeah. Your book, The Brain Sutras, brings your years of research and practice 
into the connection of mind, brain, and consciousness, it puts it into 25 sutras or aphorisms. It highlights the ancient teachings of yoga. And then you share the connections that modern science is showing related to those teachings. So I was curious, what made you decide to write the book in this ancient format of sutras, which are these kind of pithy sayings, you know, that then are followed by sort of an exposition explanation, a further explanation of each one? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, the word sutra uh, means thread. So a thread that runs through and connects things. So, you know, having studied sutras, uh, yoga sutras, the uh, heart sutras, many different iterations, I felt like that that was a good, uh, you know, good point for me to to show this thread between um, this physical reality, the the brain and mind, and so on, and the spiritual principles. Uh, and I wanted to keep it short. I didn't want to, you know, go into long, 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 long explanations. I just wanted a nice short aphorism or sutra. And then that sort of uh, explained itself, but then obviously commentary is important. So that's really where I got that from. I'm sentimental about the word sutras. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's actually a lovely format because each one, each little chapter about a sutra is really only just a few pages, you know, so yeah. it is. Uh, it's actually lovely and uh, pithy, I'd say. That's a good word. <laughs> As we've talked about, you're a longtime student of Roy Eugene Davis, who is also the guru of Yogacharya O'Brien. You lived at his ashram and then very near it in Georgia for many years. How did Mr. Davis influence your work? Oh, boy. Um, you know, Roy was different with different people with me. He was very fatherly. Uh, my my biological father uh, passed away mm -hmm. five years before I met Roy. Mm -hmm. And Roy, you know, I don't know whether he wanted to or not. He took over the, the not just guru role but father role, mm -hmm. uh, which which was very uh, helpful for me. And he immediately, uh, you know, was was directing me because I had I had been to chiropractic university, so he was. You know, he looked at my skills, my knowledge, and he was he started directing me towards uh, that community. You know, the the healing community, and uh, sure enough, there was a, a hospital right there, just seven miles away from the ashram, where I went and started teaching meditation uh, with Roy's blessings and encouragement. And then every step of the way, I I met with Roy, generally, uh, even when I wasn't working there weekly. Mm -hmm. you know, just to have a chat, have some, some tea or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he always uh, very gently, you know, helped sort of guide me this way and that way. Um, and then 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, no, 10 years ago, I moved here to California from Georgia. And frankly, he wasn't real thrilled with that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, he likes California, uh, but uh, you know, then then right away, uh, he saw I saw that this was a very important step for me, uh, mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know, not getting out from under his wings, which I will never do, hope I never do, but uh, you know, to 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 take what I know and and uh, apply it mm -hmm. and develop a community of people. And Santa Barbara is a great place, very uh, progressive thinking. Lots of spiritual teachers and teachings here and healers and all that. So it's it's a good place. So I thought we would spend some time today looking at some of the sutras that you offer in the book and talk about how the ancient teachings of yoga are relevant to us today and how we can allow ourselves, allow our lives to be transformed you know, by these teachings. So starting out, I'm looking at Brain Sutra number six, which addresses a very foundational point in yoga. We know that yoga, the word yoga, Sanskrit word means wholeness or oneness with all of life and with God, however we perceive God to be. And you include a familiar quote from Rumi, you are not a drop in the ocean, you are the entire ocean in a drop. That's just so beautiful. You are not yeah. a drop in the ocean, you are the entire ocean in a drop. You say, you write, 
You are not a body producing consciousness. You are consciousness producing a body. And that consciousness is the life force. So would you say more about that? Yeah. And, you know, what I'm pointing to there is it's not consciousness is not some out of reach state that we have to search for and find the very thing that is looking out of our eyes is consciousness and we can trace that back to its source which is this omnipresent divine field uh the ocean if you will mm -hmm. um you know and it's it's at first it's generally for most people an intellectual understanding or an intellectual practice but over time as um you know the soul is unveiled and our consciousness is unveiled we start to see that yogananda paramahansa yogananda used to say you know some people look at these mountains and see mountains i see only god mm. and uh you know that's a a lofty statement but that is that is certainly a possibility and we've all had moments like that Right. But that's the reality. The, the um, you know, consciousness is manifesting through each one of us. Roy was also very fond of saying, you know, you are an individualized unit of a larger reality. Right. But you have all the qualities, capacities, and attributes of that larger reality. And that is, in effect, what Rumi's saying here as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The next sutra, Sutra 7, is real healing is spiritual. This was interesting to me as a physician, always really concerned about healing and, you know, where it comes from, how it happens, etc. As a yogi, I know that healing is definitely more than just, you know, whatever Western medicine, you know, can do, for example, giving a pill or having a surgery. Although, of course, those things are important and I would never, you know, discourage anyone from pursuing those. Um, but we are definitely more than just our bodies. So what would you say more about that? Why do you say that real healing is spiritual? Um, you know, it goes back to some some principles that the when when we are working with with people who've come to us for healing or not, um, the the change has to be in our own spiritual consciousness we have to look past uh the error of um, separation uh you know some different uh, teachings like christian science and uh joel goldsmith used to say uh you know don't even go there don't acknowledge the error the the disillusionment in your consciousness get very clear that that it's all consciousness and this person or being whatever it is you're working with is is divine and therefore there can't be any separation um and you know i have to say i've, I've watched spiritual teachers spiritual masters and you can almost um it's almost palpable when when you when you when you see how they operate that they are you know people will come to them with this complaint this problem this problem but you can almost see them looking through that to the spiritual essence of that particular individual and that in a sense draws this what we call healing out or this um this release from a sense of disillusionment so that's really uh, what I was pointing to there, that it's really a spiritual realization. And that's what that's what true healing is. True healing is moving beyond this sense of individuality and dysfunction and so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's degrees and levels of that. And as you say, medicine, et cetera, et cetera, has its place for sure. Right. But so spiritual healing is a, is, a, is a little different category, but can be applied just as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also in this um, section about um, Sutra 7, real healing is spiritual. You talk about seeing ourselves and others as the divine. 
and that that's an important step in healing, particularly right now in this country and also in the world, there's yeah. just such polarization and it's really an important concept to, you know, to sense or believe in that underlying oneness to stop separating things into us and them obviously this even has affected at the level of families you know where families have been you know broken up about um, seeing the other person as wrong or bad so how does our spiritual practice support us in seeing that divinity in all well you just said it we have to um look past the the differences of opinion the various beliefs and you know we we end every meditation here uh with um you know sort of the buddhist idea of you know almost eight billion people on the planet uh selflessly lovingly gently radiate compassion and goodwill and wish for everyone regardless of the individual their highest good and i, I you know and obviously, we don't always want to do that. Sometimes we're a little agitated or irritated or <laughs> angry or disagree. But I think just, you know, consciously making the um, the effort to see past all of these differences, all this stuff, and just, you know, realizing this is a big play of consciousness going on here. It knows what it's doing. We just have to trust that and have faith in the process. You know, we're we're moving th uh, into a different, you know, we're moving through the yugas and we're, at, um, you know, in a, a particular point in a cycle when things are going to be polarized. That's just the nature of, of you know, what's happening now. It'll get better, of course. And, uh, you know, again, following the yugas, there is an age of enlightenment a few thousand years ahead. Sorry, we have to wait for it, but... <laughs> But yeah, this is just this is the the nature of of the way the uh, the universe is working now. Right. Yeah. Right. That is such a helpful view to me as I sometimes get caught up in you know worry or fear uh, about you know where we are, climate change. I mean, there's so many things to worry about, um, and then just remember that um, we're here to awaken. And that all is all is moving in that direction. And exactly. and from my perspective, I can't see that. I can't see what's necessary, um, you know, for everyone to have that awakening experience. But um, I can have faith that that is yeah. what's happening, you know, behind the scenes. And I, I find that tremendously calming. Yeah. Um, actually, it reminds me of the, my favorite of the. Um, Verses in the Bhagavad Gita, which is 240, which says, even a little bit of this practice removes great fear. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's my meditation practice, you know, and, and um, you know, that having that faith that um, things are always moving in the right direction, although it may not seem it at a yeah. particular at a particular moment. Yeah, yeah. As a reminder to our listeners, today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is Marty Woodkey, along with his wife, Dr. Stella Woodkey. He's the founder of the Woodkey Institute of Infinite Potential. He was ordained to teach and initiate students into the practice of Kriya Yoga by his guru, Roy Eugene Davis. You can find out more about Marty's work and services at his website, woodkeyipi.com. And again, IPI is Infinite Potential Institute woodkeyipi.com and we will have this link on our website at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list and receive our newsletter. So in Sutra 11, you are discussing the layers of the mind. I really like the visual example that you use to illustrate these layers with a sphere. So would you go through that example for our listeners? It's on page 40 of, uh, of the Brain Sutras. Yeah, I think um, in that I was saying that, you know, you visualize the sphere and at the very center of this of the sphere is um, is consciousness, pure consciousness that is uh, unconditioned, uh, unadulterated. But as as you move out from that central sphere concentrically, um, we it, that pure consciousness has to go through these different levels of 
uh, expression and manifestation. And it's those those levels, you know, from subconscious, which is actually a huge portion of what we call our consciousness, out to what we call our conscious mind. But at that very center is pure consciousness and super consciousness, if you will, which is at the source of everything we are and everything we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as this pure consciousness moves through these different levels, and that includes the brain, um, it takes on characteristics, uh, levels of um, conditioning and so on. And uh, and the point is to to you know sort of uh, reverse this process and get back mm-hmm. to that you know it's kind of like a you know a movie theater at least in in the, I don't know if they're still like this the the film projectors you have a little bulb in there and then the 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 movie uh, runs on this film strip and then there's a screen up there where it's projected. Well, in the same way, we're not the screen with all of the lights and shadows flashing. We're not the film strip. What we are is that light bulb. Mm-hmm. And that light bulb is, is, you know, has a source as well, electricity. And But that is that is our source. That is our essence of being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you described what you already said a little bit about, but would you go into more detail? What are the three layers of the mind? Uh, okay, so we have... a. Uh, you know, what we call the conscious mind, you know, that we operate in throughout the day. Um, and, you know, there are various theories about this that, uh, you know, we only use, you've heard, we only use 10% of our brain. I'm not, I'm not sure about any of those, but I do know from the work I've been doing for 40 years that you know, many many people think they're conscious, <laughs> and it, it doesn't take much observation of oneself uh, to to see that we tend to, what I say and what I've heard other teachers say, we tend to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. We allow these automatic patterns. You know, I like that person. I don't like that person. I like broccoli. I don't like broccoli. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a good person. I'm not a good person. I, you know, we have all these um, conditionings that have been piled on and come out through our conscious mind. Well, where are those? Well, it's the subconscious mind, which really carries the weight of um, of our experience and is also the primary motivator and guiding factor of our behaviors so much of the the work that i that i do is um helping people recognize you know where some of this subconscious patterns where it's coming from how it's manifesting and so on and uh you know that can be a challenge uh you know because much of the time these uh, patterns that have been adopted by our subconscious uh, were adopted very early on, you know, in our lives, you know, before the age of seven, most of it theoretically is imprinted in our brains. And, and if we have relationship problems and so on and so on, we can often uh, find the source or the cause way back there. There's even a, a test for what we call the ACEs test. ACEs is an acronym, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm. And there's a direct correlation. There's research out now that shows that the higher your ACEs score, uh, the more prone you're going to be to many physical and psychological ailments and problems. Um, I worked a lot with uh, parolees at a prison, and their ACEs score was usually at the top. And it, and the aces the the questionnaire is very simple uh witness uh abuse victim of abuse uh neglect uh, uh um and there's a few other details in there too but these are the things that create the subconscious and the subconscious has a portion called the default mode network right. so the default mode network wants to keep us in this sleeping state so that we don't have to walk around thinking about everything that we have to do. 
Right. But it is the part of our brain that keeps us asleep and keeps us acting like automatons and not really. And, it, you know, it's based on survival and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So um, then there, of course, is the deeper unconscious mind, which, um, you know, for a few hours at night, if we're sleeping well, becomes the dominant part. But, you know, as yogis tell us, and eventually each of us experiences, we can even learn how to be conscious in that state. The, uh, the you know, the technique of yoga nidra actually teaches uh, individuals how to do that. It's a very powerful healing state, but obviously not exactly functional we can't walk around in that state but the key to all of it is the super conscious state and through meditation and our spiritual practices you know learning how to unveil the super conscious state Mm because that's going to take care of all the other Mm -hmm. concentric circles moving out from it Mm -hmm. and um and that that's a that's a given that's a guarantee in fact you know, that's, that's the way it works. So mm-hmm. I guarantee. Wow. <laughs> that's great. Oh, I do. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think um, a lot of people, if they haven't, uh, well, first about the default mode network, I can't tell you how often yeah, I used to commute about 25 miles uh, to, to my workplace. And um, I would wake up when I would drive into like the garage, you know, where I parked my car and all of a sudden I realized it's like, wow, where was I, you know, exactly. It's like, obviously I successfully navigated to get here, you know, cause I'm here, I'm in my building. But, <laughs> yeah. but if you asked me like exactly what happened on the way, I would not have been able to tell you, I was like totally asleep. Um, so that's obviously that default mode network that you're talking about. Our ability to be like an automaton, I think, is a really good is a really good because there's not a lot of consciousness, conscious awareness of what you know. And mindfulness is a great practice there, you know, where we can bring ourselves present and you know really um, kind of forestall going into that. But then regarding super consciousness, I think it's a kind of a foreign idea to some people. But this the because they think for example, kind of without looking at it, they think, you know, I am my thoughts. It's like, that's, you know, it's like, well, you are actually the witness of your thoughts. Because if you're your thoughts, your thoughts are changing. Like if you're really looking at them, they're changing dramatically, like even mm-hmm. second to second, maybe millisecond to millisecond, you know, <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking and I, and I get someplace and I think, how did I get to that spot? You know, like, mm-hmm. how did I get to thinking about bananas, you know, or whatever, you know, and then you can kind of go back and you'd say, oh, well, I was thinking about this and that reminded me of this. Yeah, then I was yeah. thinking about my shopping list and I got to remember to buy bananas. You know? <laughs> so, so if I have my thoughts, it's like, wow, did I just go through a lot of, cha- a lot of changes there? <laughs> so yeah, super consciousness is a way that we can experience, you know, that, that, and the other interesting thing about it to me, because it's beyond thought, that's what I was going to say. So super conscious beyond thought. So it's super consciousness. Um, but it is, um, it is accessible to us because it's there all the time. And I really like the, the, the analogies of, for example, like the muddy water or the, the snow globe, you know, so muddy water, if you just let it sit, it'll mm-hmm. settle. And then the water, you see that underneath the water was clear right Mm. but you can't you didn't experience that because all you knew you know all you could see was you can't see through it because of all the mud particles same thing with the glitter you know in the snow globe Mm. you know you don't realize it's like the water around it the liquid around it is clear Mm. um and so that's that clarity that underlying clarity that's the super conscious state that's there all the time which i think is such good news for us right because we like you said i think at the beginning we don't have to go anywhere we don't have to find anything it's right there we just have to let the mud or the glitter settle yeah yeah Yeah. which takes some convincing at first oh yeah you know when we start to meditate or blah 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 blah, blah, blah. (laughs) you have to have to be patient uh, and listen to the teachers who say, "Don't worry. Eventually, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, the 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 snow and the snow globe will settle in." And sure enough, it does. And then we get these uh, little glimpses of, um, of of inner peace and super conscious awareness, and so on. Yeah, that's yes. great. As you write in the book, the core of our being is unchanging and unchangeable. 
unchanging and unchangeable. There's no need to achieve or earn our divinity uh, as it is already there. It's already within us. So for those of us who were raised in other religions, there's a lot more. <laughs> it's a very different, a very diff different teaching. <clears throat> and so it takes a while to really absorb that into our understanding, this idea that this divinity is already within us. So would you say more about that? Um, well, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I have plenty of experience with the uh, <laughs> other side here. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a freeing realization, obviously, that I am not a guilty so-and-so and I am not a, you know, whatever particular teaching uh, a person was under. But, um, you know, I, I practice, I, I get the opportunity to, to put this into practice every day, not just for myself, but for other people. Uh, Santa Barbara is pretty notorious for a large homeless population. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't look at them and feel sorry for them, although, you know, to a certain degree, obviously, but I look at them and see divinity. This, is, this, this individual has the same source of, of consciousness. The core of their being is, is that same unchangeable immutable uh uh consciousness but you you know you have to be careful at the same time about um shaking up a person's belief system too much mm -hmm. uh you know there i think there are certain times in people's lives usually when they're undergoing crisis or dealing with grief or whatever where or um you know, or experiencing a loss and so on and so on, where people are more open to to this sort of uh, notion. Um, but I remember Roy told me in the very beginning, I had several, you know, what I considered profound awakening experiences living there at the ashram. And he said, which I'm breaking the, the rule right now, he said, don't talk about them. <laughs> you know, don't go out and broadcast this, okay? Just, you know, this is like a, an investment that you have to, you have to allow your principal to gain. Mm. Um, so I think that, that, you know, that that's an important factor that people uh, often, although, you know, we can share literature, share information, but this is a realization more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you can go to somebody and, and, and tell them that, uh, you know, don't buy into this humanness and the stuff you're going through. You're really a divine being. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're talking a little bit about the subconscious and about impressions, these impressions, as you were saying, many of them are formed you know, before the age of seven, but then they continue on through our lives. And, you know, this idea from yoga of samskaras that um, the samskaras are these repetitive uh, patterns. I like to think of them, I've seen it described as the ruts in a road, and certainly it is that, but I also like to, to think about it as when water comes down a hillside, the first couple of times it kind of carves a channel. And then every time when it rains, then that's the easiest place for the, you know, for the water to go is into that channel that's been carved. And it continues to carve it and make it deeper and deeper. Um, so to me, this is that one of the interesting kind of correlates with neuroplasticity, right? Because um, I think that, I don't know who said it or where it came from, but the phrase, what fires together, what, uh, what is it? What uh, fires together, together, wires together, wires yeah. together. There we go. Fires together, wires together. But then the hopeful part of it to me is that there's also positive samskaras so that when we change a behavior, it's like that first time is the most difficult, right? Where we're trying to carve that new pathway, you know, yes. down for the water to run into a different channel. But then, you know, at, with re repetition, you can also build positive samskar. So did you want to say more just about that process of how? Yeah, because yeah, uh, it's very practical. You can, with that understanding, you can use that. There's a uh, an Ayurvedic practitioner, very famous, I know, who was very fond of, of uh, talking about impressions as food. Mm. Like it, it's this very subtle energy, but it's like food. So, um, you know, as you say, there's a lot of negative impressions that 
we should avoid as much as possible if it's practical and possible. But then at the same time, use that principle to, to get good impressions, feed ourselves, feed our soul, if you will. Mm. Um, you know, I recommend to, to when you can do this here in Santa Barbara, to visit a, a temple or, or whatever, uh, you know, a person's general uh, theme is, uh, plenty of temples here, cathedrals, churches, you know, holy places, spiritual places. And then, of course, nature is, is an incredible source of beautiful impressions that we can take in and, and as I said, sort of feed our soul. Um, and then spiritual teachings, uh, joining a spiritual community and so on. These are all positive impressions. You know, we want to seek the um, company of, of holy people. Yukteswar said this in the holy signs. So, um, you know, impressions go both ways uh, and and using them consciously, I think, is very important. Yeah, I think it's so it's to me, that's the hopeful part of samskara. Sometimes you get depressed, you know, about a repetitive pattern that you're experiencing that you're trying to break through. But then the hopeful part of it is, but yeah, but I can I can use that same process to build yes. a new a new behavior, a new yes. track that will then become automatic, you know, yes. which which is the nice part about it. So one of the things Mr. Davis stressed is that affirmation can be a really important tool, as you say, can give the subconscious accurate and enlightened information to create positive samskaras. And you talk about in the book, a three ingredients for creating a successful affirmation. So would you go through that with us? Sure, sure. You know, affirmations, you know, this was a good segue, but sort of the antidote to these negative samskaras when we recognize them. Um, but they should be, you know, before I get into the three points, they should be short, you know, not paragraph, it's too much to remember. <laughs> yeah. And um, positive. Uh, I took training in clinical hypnosis 30, 40 years ago, put myself through chiropractic school as a practitioner. And, you know, you, you and they, they, informed us your affirmation is not like i don't want to be overweight <laughs> it's a, it's a, that blows it <laughs> you know so, it has to be in the positive it right? has to be in the positive exactly <laughs> otherwise you're you're dwelling on what you're trying to get rid of exactly yes exactly <laughs> so they should be short positive and um and motivating obviously something that you like and want to do um, so when you when you're doing affirmations, whether you're doing them out loud or silently, you 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 don't do it like a parrot just over and over again. You you think, focus, and give your full attention to it. Why? Because then you're drawing all these areas of your brain together mm -hmm. so that you have uh, more of an opportunity to rewire things. Mm -hmm. Um if you really uh want to do it right it can be a good idea if you can visualize to bring a an entire sensory experience in as if that affirmation was here now the the affirmation is is in the moment not oh in the future i want to be happy and healthy no right now i am happy and healthy i mean that is the more appropriate way to do it and then you know you can play around a little bit how would it look how would it feel? Where would you be? Um, you know, and that's these are little tricks uh, from neurolinguistics that you can again get more of your brain involved in the process if you bring in a um, a mental sensory experience. Um, and then probably the most important ingredient is emotion. Emotion is what you know triggers dopamine, and dopamine is the neurochemical that creates new synapses in the brain just like that instantly mm. so so having a positive feeling about it and um and really feeling gratitude uh, joyousness appreciation and so on, these are all important ingredients so focus um bring making it a, a mental picture and then bringing emotion in i think those those are the three things that I was referring to. Wonderful. So what are a couple of examples 
of <laughs> useful affirmations. I, I like, um, I heard Roy say this several times, the radiance of my essence of being illumines my mind and consciousness. Yeah, I love the, the, la- radiance. the last couple of decades of his life. That was his favorite. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, he, there were several iterations of it, but, um, I learned the radiant purity of my essence of being continuously illumines my mind and consciousness. Yes. And uh, he was doing that for about the last 20 years. Uh, The first one I heard him do was I am healthy, vital, and radiantly alive. And he certainly was. And uh, um, I I loved that one and and used that one a lot. Um, I am calm, confident, and serene is another one he, he would use often. Uh, and then there's a, there's another one that I learned uh, several years ago when I was going through a particularly stressful period in my life and and catching myself going through the worry network in my brain. And it was it's very simple, but it's so profound. I am all right right now. Mm. Brings you present. Mm. It's like yeah, I'm you know, I'm all right right now, no, regardless of what this silly stuff is in my head. I found that one uh, extremely useful over time, too. Obviously, there's a, you know, Yogananda's scientific healing affirmations is a little, little uh, pamphlet. Very good. And Roy, of course, almost all of his books and chapters end with it with an affirmation. So people, you know, and then, then there are antidote affirmations, you know, you're antidoting a particular pattern you you found that is is not useful to you. Sometimes we'll even, you know, take a, um, a mala, a prayer beads, and repeat an affirmation mentally with each uh, bead, um, depending upon what what the individual is looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To me, the you know the key is to. Um, is to really feel the the truth, you know, of yes. of what you're, you know, of what you're saying. To be in that place, you know, I am, um, I am all right right now. Yeah. Um, and to really, to really feel that, to really, like you said, imbue it with that emotion, that certainty. I am all right right now, and it can be really really helpful when we get distracted into that, you know, into those worries that we talked about. Of course, meditation is a key practice to eliminate negative samskaras. In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, one of the that's one of the key scriptures that we study in Kriya Yoga, the sutras, Yoga Sutras. Um, it says mental impressions produced by samadhi or deep meditation inhibit, weaken, and dissolve harmful mental impressions and produce permanent beneficial changes. That's the Yoga Sutra 150 uh, from uh, Mr. Davis, from Ray Jean Davis. Uh, Mental impressions produced by samadhi or deep meditation inhibit, weaken, and dissolve harmful mental impressions and produce permanent beneficial changes. In Brain Sutra 13, you address meditation and say that it is the oldest and greatest science. Why do you call it a science? Um, I think I was looking at the Oxford uh, Dictionary definition, um, and the the key word is systematic. Mm-hmm. You know, meditation is a systematic approach to personal and spiritual transformation. And that's what science is—a systematic. You know, there's different uh, categories of science: natural science, abstract science, and so on. But I think I think that meditation. Uh, is a revealed science uh, that, you know, the uh, rishis, the seers, thousands of years ago, were generous enough to, um, you know, to delineate for us. And it is a systematic approach to 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 spiritual awareness and spiritual awakening. It's not, um, you know, it, it takes into account the transformations that have to occur in the brain and in the body in order for um you know the, this this more intense more uh, uh energetic uh uh spiritual energy uh, that comes when we start experiencing super consciousness 
Mm-hmm. So they knew you, the, the brain and body has to be transformed just like a, a 40 watt light bulb can't handle a thousand watts. You, you got to tune us, tune up the nervous system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what Kriya Yoga is mm-hmm. very specifically for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Particularly the, the pranayamas, but you know, the yamas, the niyamas, all the preparatory practices mm-hmm. are a systematic science, a scientific systematic approach to changing the brain, the nervous system, and allowing the individual's consciousness to unfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about this idea about superconscious. That superconscious mind is the deepest, unchanging level of mind, and in Kriya Yoga, and as emphasized by Raging Davis, um, create uh, superconscious meditation is the kind that's the most beneficial. There's lots of kinds of meditation, as we mentioned. There's you know uh, um, uh, mindfulness meditation not saying that it's not you know important um there's all kinds of sort of guided meditations or visualizations but superconscious meditation is different mm-hmm. uh, how, how would you describe superconscious meditation and why is it important well i think it's important because of of you know what you read a few minutes ago it has a transformational neutralizing effect um in the early years that I was with Roy Davis, he always, at the end of the meditation, would say, and allow this superconscious influence to infiltrate your mind. And and then he would say, any negative or destructive habits, patterns, tendencies, or thoughts are being um, cleared by this energy. And, I, you know, in the beginning, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't feel any neutralizing hang, but then all of a sudden, you know, once you start um, understanding what superconsciousness is, this clarity, you know, because we sit there and we try to define it. Oh, is this superconscious? Is this super superconscious? Is, is really undefinable. However, you know when you're experiencing it. You know, you know when you know. Right. And um, and it is a it's a it's a unique form of meditation. You're not visualizing you're just continuously detaching from your own memories your own thoughts your own sense of yourself and the the more you detach the more you sort of surrender to this this inner state that's always there the more it reveals itself to you Mm -hmm. and um and for myself personally, uh, and I think for many Kriya Yoga meditators, it is definitely this, this you know, updraft of energy, if you will. Right. Um, and very much is, feels either third eye or crown. And I think that's the difference between it and other forms of meditation, that it is not this reverie, trance-like state. It is a profound uh state of awareness uh it, 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 way beyond any any type of reverie or trance-like state um but you have to be patient because and again just reminding yourself that it's always there uh you know yogananda used to used to say just if you can't manage just sit there and pray reveal thyself reveal thyself reveal it and eventually that will happen what what is revealed is that you're you are that you are thyself you are that self mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what superconscious leads us to so. mm-hmm. I actually love the you know the first several sutras of the yoga sutras you know what is it um you know first they define uh you know yoga as uh uh chitta vritti nirodaha so the you know the 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 stilling of these you know these thought waves in the mind and then, you know, uh, when that happens, I love this one, like when that happens, um, you know, the uh, um, true self is revealed as itself, the state of consciousness, yeah. you know, is is revealed as itself. So it's like this automatic thing. Again, it's this this idea that it's within us. And that, um, you know, these, these, you know, practices that we've been talking about meditation, you know, will bring it forth. And then the next sutra is, and when, and when that's not happening, we're totally caught up in the mind. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, you once you've had that experience of meditation, you know, you see the truth of that. Like you said, you know, you're, you've experienced it. So you know, you know what that truth is. 
Um, for those listeners who are interested in um, hearing more about um, how to do superconscious meditation, I did record a pro uh, how to meditate program at the very end of December. It's our last program of the year. It's called Ever New Joy. That's posted on our website. If you would like to hear it, it's about, you know, 35 minutes or so, 40 minutes of, of meditation instruction. And then at the end, for those who, who are in a situation, not driving, obviously, but if in a situation where you can meditate, there's like a little guidance, a little, like, I think it's a t 12 or 15 minute meditation at the very end. And then I know uh, you offer um, that you offer how to meditate as well, how to meditate programs. And you also have a weekly meditation group that is open to all uh, through, you know, through, I'm assuming the IPI, Wiki IPI website. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually expanded now. We have it more than uh, twice a week. Oh, great. Great. Well, this conversation has just flown by, Marty, and we've come to the, the end. So um, in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? I think we've about said it all, but just to, to repeat, um, you, you know, with with practice, uh, with and following a systematic practice and um you know, being somewhat self-disciplined in one's thoughts, one's behaviors, and so on, uh, it, it is inevitable. Again, I guarantee it <laughs> there is the, that this awakening process will bring realization about, and that realization will bring tremendous joy and fulfillment in, in everyone's life. Mm -hmm. We don't have to struggle with you know, going from psychiatric medication to psychiatric medication, there is a way through that is, uh, is, is frankly much more powerful. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been Marty Woodkey. Woodkey is W-U-T-T-K-E. Marty is the co-founder with his wife, Dr. Stella Woodkey of the Woodkey Infinite Potential Institute in Santa Barbara, California. You can find out more about Marty and his work at the Infinite Potential Institute uh, at the website, woodkeyipi.com. And you, we will also have the links to his Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube on our website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Marty Woodkey, Thank for joining you, me today. Great to see you again. Yeah. Um, for listeners, we hope you can join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. CSE offers daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4 p.m., and Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word meaning a gathering of truth seekers. That happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. You can find out more about these programs and many other classes and events at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment by going to the website csecenter.org, as well as the website kriyayogastudies.com, which is a website that lists all of Yogacharya O'Brien's and CSE's um, online programs. Another podcast that might be of interest to listeners of this program is the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, which includes presentations from classes and talks that she has given. And you can find that at csecenter.org website or at her author website, ellengraceobrien.com. You can also find Kriya Yoga Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when my guest will be Master Wayson Lau. We will be discussing how to connect with your life force energy through the power of Tai Chi. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to the show. We love it when you do, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the podcasts, consider mentioning it to a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. 
Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.